Well, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, I have a bit of a cold. If you uh, don't know me normally, just assume that I always have this lovely, deep, masculine voice. <laughs> I'm going to open uh, in prayer, so please pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, give me your words to say this morning. May I be speaking your truth and your wisdom, helping to show everyone uh, clearly that what I say is from your scriptures, so the authority I have is yours and not my own. Be working in our hearts and minds, Lord, to transform us. Amen. Well, some things are always changing. You, you know, you, you go to Barrel and every second week there's a new cafe popping up. Uh, when I was a kid, as I think back to all the stores that were there, pretty much every single one has changed once or twice. They're just always going over. I can remember uh, being a small boy at the back of Mossvale, running around in gumboots, uh, jumping through paddocks, kind of jumping over cow pats and that kind of thing. And those paddocks now are all housing estates, aren't they? You know, people's front gardens. Uh, which is great, but things are just rolling on. And yet we come to this passage today, uh, 1 John, and John can speak of things that, written 2,000 years ago, I think we can all immediately relate to. He says, um, I think I've got a slide. Uh, He says in verse 4, follow along with your Bibles. I put the Bible verses up here, but um, follow along if you've got the Bible there as well. He says in verse 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. And when he speaks of this uh, struggle uh, to overcome the world, I think we can all know what he means by that. And you do see this theme throughout 1 John of this struggle. Um, I'm picturing kind of like a giant life-size arm wrestle between a Christian and the world, and they're tussling, but eventually the, the Christian kind of wins. But it does raise a whole lot of questions. When he talks about this, what type of forces uh, does, it, does it need uh, to be overcome? What, what, what are we fighting against here? If the world was overcoming me, would I know it? Would I be able to recognize that? What would it look like to be overcome by the world? We're not talking about uh, physical persecution here, are we? It's, it's something different. I think it's a, a war of uh, motives, a war of lifestyles. The, the battleground is our hearts. Uh, The weapons are our ideas and our desires. The prize is relationship with God. The the world outside attacks us within, doesn't it? Um, I think what's on view here is not uh, individual sins, though important, but it's more like whether Christianity feels like a burden, Um, whether Christian obedience and and commitment is, um, is a burden or is it a joy. So if you look in verse 3, it says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Do God's commands feel like a burden? Are there other things that we'd rather be doing? Are there other lives that we'd rather be living uh, than following God and his commands? Jesus says, uh, Come to me, for my burden is light, doesn't he? And he's He's contrasting himself with the Pharisees who, who he says, heap up people with laws and, and things they have to do and, and they kind of overwhelm them and their burden is heavy. But Jesus says, my burden is light. Does, does Jesus' burden feel light? Uh, or, or does it feel like a burden? Um, I saw this, this struggle going on in a friend of mine. She was in my Bible study. She was about in first or second year uni and she'd grown up in a Christian family. But you could just see that at every point, at every moment in her life, 
this, this battle with the world was, was pulling and, and straining on her. So we'd have Bible study on Wednesday night, and one day she called up and said, actually, I'm not going to be there for the next six weeks because I've signed up for a netball competition. Well, why did you sign up for the netball competition? Do you, do you want to come and meet with God's people or not? At everything, you know, reading the Bible, oh, there's just no time. Uh, not swearing, oh, it doesn't really matter. We, we don't want to be legalistic about it. Dressing modestly, oh, but well, Jesus doesn't want us to be a dag, does he? Surely not. Getting drunk, oh, I wasn't drunk. I, I was kind of walking a bit funny, but I wasn't drunk. You could feel, you could see the world was pulling her one way. Uh, and at every point, commitment to God, it was a burden. It was getting in the way of the life that she wanted to live. If you'd rather follow the world, its standards, its values, its fruits, its pleasures, its joys, than follow God and his, well, then you know the world has overcome you. Well, how do we overcome the world? That's my second point. Verses uh, 4 and 5 tell us that, uh, strangely enough, our, our secret weapon in this battle is none other than faith. So uh, verse 4 says, uh, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes, uh, that is, has faith, that Jesus is the Son of God. Into all this uh, <clears throat> tension and warring comes faith. Faith which, it, it feels kind of weak and impotent, doesn't it? It's, it's faith. It, it does not, doesn't feel very solid, really. Um, you know Ephesians 6 talks about the shield of faith? Well, what kind of useless battle, uh, what kind of useless shield is faith? Like if I'm going to go into battle, I want a very physical, metal, wooden shield to fend off all these arrows that are coming at me. I think we, I think, we think about faith the wrong way. You, you know, we, we think of it as the opposite of action. So um, I don't have faith that God will protect me. I go to the gym, right? It's, it's the alternative. Or... I don't have faith that my wife will love me. I, I do something about it. I treat her really well, and then the theory is that she'll <laughs> love me back. That's the theory. Faith is seen as the opposite of action. I think the other mistake we, we uh, have is we talk about how much faith we have. It's something that just comes out in the way we speak, how much faith we have or how strong our faith is, um, as though it's, it comes down to our strength. But I think uh, faith in the Bible, it's more like a, a switch, right? Uh, you either have faith or you don't. It's, uh, you've, you've seen who God is and you have faith and then it changes everything. Uh, there's no dimmer. The light is on or the light is off. And that's because the, the strength of our faith, it comes from what we have faith in, not from us. So uh, verse 4 says, I think there's a verse 4. Yeah. Uh, you have overcome them. Why? Why have we overcome them? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. See, it's, it's Jesus' power, not ours, isn't it? As I was um, thinking about this passage, as I often am, I was standing on a train platform in Sydney, right? There's a lot of trains. That's how I get around. And as this train came hurtling past, I was kind of thinking, uh, when you're on a train, whether or not you get to your destination, how fast you get there, it doesn't come down to how well you hang onto your seat, does it? I mean, you can grit your teeth, but it doesn't really change anything. You're either on the train 
or you're not. And I like that. I like that illustration. You know, we put our faith in God and we get on board his train. We're putting our life into his hands and we're going where he leads us. Uh, this, or last week, uh, John Gray, he's an atheist philosopher, published a book called Seven Types of Atheism. And I was, um, I was reading it this last week. And I love it. He, he kind of speaks to this. He argues that uh, atheists are putting their hope in the progress of humanity. He says, you know, you kind of have, um, I don't want to get too nerdy here, but the, <laughs> you've got the Christians, uh, Christian culture, you know, out of the Roman Empire, Constantine and the, the Roman Catholic Empire, and then humanism comes along, and he says, they take this redemptive ideal in Christianity, and they replace it with the redemptive ideal in hu uh, humanism. So um, you get ideas like uh, science and evolution and culture and progress. It's, it's all going somewhere, and this is what they're all hoping in. You know, you talk to an atheist and, and you say what it is that they think gives meaning to their lives. And they say, you know, I'm just trying to leave a mark. I'm just trying to do some good. Hopefully I can help things along, you know. It, it's very much this ideal. And John Gray, this uh, atheist philosopher, very persuasively argues that <laughs> humanity isn't going anywhere. It's not progressing. You know, we, we used to have spears to kill each other and now we have nuclear bombs. Uh, all the measures that we have, we're just as cruel to each other now as we ever have been. Humanity is not going anywhere. Um, and without a God ordering things right, you can't expect it to. It's just, a, it's just a random disease. It's not this idea of progress. God gives us that. Um, trusting in humanity, it's not going to get you there. Why I'm saying this is <clears throat> you can put your faith in humanity or you can put it in God. Um, and, and we all have to decide. God is going somewhere. He's going somewhere. Um, humanity is not. So put yourself in God's hands. Trust him. Follow him. Go where he leads. That's what being a Christian is about. Well, back to this question of um, how we overcome the world, right? So we, 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 uh, we put our faith, we get on board God's train, and we get taken along. We're, we're about him now. And what matters is whether or not we're on the train. Uh, John 16, 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's the answer. Faith in Jesus. How does Jesus overcome the world? Well, of course, by dying on the cross. What does overcoming the world look like? If, you, if you're overcoming the world, if you're doing this well, what kind of things are you going to start seeing in your life? You know, you, have you ever heard of a Christian who actually takes a pay cut to spend more time with their family and serving at church? I mean, and the world kind of goes, hang on, what, what's going on there? I don't understand what's happening. Or um, when the world hears of someone waiting to have sex uh, until they get married, right? They just can't understand it. Why would you do that? <laughs> kind of scratching their head. Or when you, when you love your enemy as yourself, that person that everyone hates being around, when you actually care for them and, and eat lunch with them and, and your colleagues and friends say, I don't know why you have anything to do with them. It's moments like this when the world is scratching its head. You know, you, you've overcome the world. Uh, things are changing. You can see it. Well, this leads me to my final point then. Uh, how do you know whether or not you're on the train? You can tell if you're on the train by looking at your life. This is all through um, 
That's the point. How do you, <laughs> you, can, you look at your life. That's what 1 John is saying. Uh, so faith, belief in Christ, it changes your whole outlook on life, doesn't it? If, you, if you've really seen what God is, if you've really actually understood what he's talking about, it, it does change everything. It reorients our desires. It reorients the desires of our heart. Um, the, and the evidence of this can be seen in our lives. That's what, um, that's what John's saying throughout his letter. So listen to how um, chapter 2, verse 3 says in, in 1 John, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And verse 6, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And that must is pretty strong language, isn't it? That's, it's not optional. It's a <laughs> must live as Jesus did. That's how you know. Again, uh, Three, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. <clears throat> Jesus is describing uh, a faith that reorients our minds so that we overcome the world. Uh, and the evidence of this faith can be seen in our actions, in our obedience. Well, Let's have a look at our lives. I mean, let's take the love here. He says we must love our brothers and our sisters. As you look at your life, what do you see there? Can, can you see this, this love? Has, has your faith led to obedience? And can you see this love of your brothers and sisters? I mean, how, how do you love your brothers and sisters? D does it take up a lot of your time? Uh, what does it look like in your life? Is it a big part of your life or is it just a nice ideal? John says we must love each other. It's, um, it's part of John's cycle. There's, there's, a, there's a cycle going in in 1 John. Um, true belief in Christ, faith, belief in Christ, it produces obedience, um, which is a demonstration. And so you might ask, uh, how do you know that you have faith? Right? That's what we want to know. And John says, well, uh, look. Look at the obedience. This is, this is how you can know. Um, it's, it's a loop, isn't it? Well, that's one slide too many. Pretend you haven't seen that. <laughs> so so um, the great gospel is um, that the God, when, when, we, when we weren't doing the right thing, when we weren't obedient, he came and he found us. Romans says uh, God loved us while we were still sinners, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. So we're not obedient to get God's love, but we have faith in him, and as a result of our love for him and his love for us, the obedience comes. Um... Why does this cycle work? What is it that makes it all happen? Um, well, John gives us a little, uh, I think it's like a little analogy. Uh, he gives it, and he describes it as uh, a father, or the way that uh, when, you, when you love a father, you love their son. So I'll take you to the verse. It's verse, um, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, everyone who loves the father loves the child as well. Um, so you can see here, it's the same kind of thing. The, the love of the father produces love of the child. My, my brother, uh, Neville, has just had um, a little daughter, my niece, Annabelle, and she, well, I should say, I don't always love kids. Like, sometimes I find them quite annoying. <laughs> but Annabelle, I love. I've totally fallen in love with her. I just can't get enough of her. And I don't know, I don't really know why, but I, I think, 5.1, it's saying, you love the father, and I do love my brother, you can't help but love the child, you know? And uh, I think this is his example. It's that same kind of um, 
It's that same kind of force. He's saying, if you have faith in God, if you love God, the obedience just comes, doesn't it? I think it's his little analogy. Um, It got me thinking, imagine if you were the first person to ever see a piece of lodestone and then get a piece of metallic rock and put it beside it and see it get drawn in. So lodestone is naturally occurring magnetic rock. And imagine if you had a piece of um, like iron or something, iron rock, and you had it there and you'd, you'd see it going, and you'd be like, what is going on here? It wouldn't make any sense. You'd be wondering, what is this unseen force that draws it in? And I think you can kind of ask the same question. What is the unseen force that that uh, makes faith produce obedience, it is an interesting question to ponder. And again, John, throughout 1 John, I'll just read you one of the verses, he's giving us the answer. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. God is in us, and he is uh, at work in our lives. So 3.24 says, The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Well, let me finish then. Let me, let me wrap up. Um, I think in this passage we have a little test that we can apply to our lives and, and a little challenge and a reminder about the way we think about God's commands. See, firstly, we need to ask ourselves, are we on the train or not? Uh, we either have faith or we don't. We either believe God and what he's saying or we don't. The, the, the penny's dropped or it hasn't. Uh, your life's either been radically changed by the force of the, the Holy Spirit, you're on board the train heading to eternity with God, um, or, or you're still on the platform, right? You're still on the platform warring with the world, trying not to be overcome. Uh, l- let me ask you, do you believe in God and his son? Um, and have the effects of this belief been seen in your life? You can tell if you're on the train or not by the way that you think about God's commands, right? Are they a burden? Are they a chore? Or are they a joy? I mean, we, we all sin. I sin. We all sin. We all struggle with this. But do you want to follow Christ? That's what we're asking here. Or are we still making excuses uh, about why we don't have to do things that we don't want to do? Are we eager to pull our lives into a line with God and what he wants for us? Or are we still kind of uh, making excuses? <clears throat> we're either driving our own train, aren't we? Or on God's train. I think that's what it comes down to. We're, we're on our own train. We're going where we think we should go, where we want to go. And we're ignoring the fact that this track is quickly coming to an end. Or we're on board God's train. And he is the driver. We're his passengers. <laughs> it's, uh, it's no wonder these train analogies keep coming to me. Because I spend a lot of time on trains in Sydney, right? You, the traffic is terrible. You don't want to drive anywhere. I just leave the car behind and jump on public transport. So a lot of time on trains, and I remember this one morning, I was heading into the city to work, and it was this busy platform, and it was in Wollstonecraft, so there's a bit of an uphill uh, footpath to where the train platform is. And I was sitting there, and I used to love watching people kind of come down the hill and then try and run for the train. It's a bit, it's a bit mean of me, but there's just something funny about watching someone in a suit struggle to get along. Anyway, there was this one morning, and there's this lady, and this poor woman is in heels, and a little bit overweight and he's wearing a suit and he's trying to get to this train <laughs> and she, <laughs> she gets there and, and the doors just kind of close and she just misses it and you know she's all sweaty by that point and I just 
I really felt for her. And in her frustration, she, she cries out at the train driver, right? And the, the train driver's window's open. You can see him there. And, and he's looking at her. And I'll never forget it. Cool as anything, he just looks at her and he says, this ain't a taxi lady. I mean, that's the thing about trains. You don't get to decide. They come when they come, and you, you fall into line, right? It's not a taxi. <laughs> so too with God, right? This is, it's the same thing. We're either, we're either in line with him, we're on his train. We, we can't have it both ways. And I, I think John, in, in this message, he's giving us great hope and assurance, isn't he, uh, of what it is to have faith in God, be involved in what he's doing, and yet it's also a real challenge. Let me pray to close. Uh, please, Lord, if there are any of us here today um, that haven't really understood what it is to be on board your train, Lord, if, if we're still trying to run life our own way, I pray that you um, speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, help us to search our lives and um, think about what our faith means. Help us to search our lives and look at the way we're living and whether or not we truly have understood what it is to commit to you and be transformed by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Give us a great fear of being left behind by you, God. Don't let any of us perish and be overcome by the world. But Lord, uh, I pray that you give us great um, hope and assurance as we look at our lives and we see the, the glorious ways that you've worked in us, Lord, in, in our um, weak human bodies, Lord. Help us to, to see all that you've done for us and, and um, help us to fall into line with your plan for our lives. Lord, as we speed onto that day when we'll join you in heaven um, and now we wait, we pray that you're with us, um, building us up and growing us, Lord. In Jesus' great name I pray. Amen.